1: Welcome to the Saturate Podcast. On this episode, we're going to listen into to a roundtable discussion that Jeff Vanderstelt and several other uh, practitioners, church planters, pastoral staff, everyday ordinary moms and dads, they sort of shared answering some frequently asked questions questions about missional communities and implementing missional communities. And so uh, we hope that you'll enjoy as we found that these are often the questions that get asked. And I hope you'll enjoy as you hear uh, just some different voices, some uh, other voices that might even sound like yours as they're growing up and what it means to follow Jesus and make disciples in community in the places that God has put them. So enjoy.
2: Hey, my name is Dawson Jones, and I'm in Soma Tacoma, just down the road. And i uh, been down there for a little over two years uh, on staff and a church planning resident there. My family, we are getting ready to move to Eastern Europe where I grew, grew up to help with church planning there. That's me. And I'm Chris, and this is my wife, Stephanie,
3: and we uh, live in Federal Way, and we lead a a community called Dope Church, uh, part of the Soma family, and I also work for Seattle's Union Gospel Mission, and I'll let uh, Steph introduce herself.
4: And um, I am Stephanie Thomas, and I teach elementary school, um, and we're reading
5: interventionists in the school close to our home. I'm Saunders. Chamberlain, and I live in South Tacoma, and um, my husband and I helped plant Soma Tacoma 12 years ago, 13 years ago, I've lost track. And my husband and I lead a missional community, and our focus is the Lincoln High School football players.
6: My name is Justin Westcott. I, I led the Soma Federal Way Church Plants about a year and a half ago. I moved to Soma Tacoma, actually, to be part of the residency with Jeff and the team down there. And then we and Chris and Steph and a, a, a group of us were sent to plant Soma Federal Way.
7: Cool. I've got one here on my head. Uh, Tim Patton, a part of the DOXA family here, and uh, give leadership to finance and administration for us at DOXA, as well as missional communities. So trying to take the vision and the craziness out of this guy and then put it into practice here on the ground. (laughs) (laughs) And you know who I am. So let's open it up for some questions and
8: we'll just try to do our best to answer one or two at a time. So
9: to the gentleman, I'm sorry, I don't remember your name, but you planted the church, you said, or were part of planting the church. Um, could you tell us what that was like, how you started off? Did you start off with missional community groups? Did you start off with a gathering? How did you yeah. kind
6: of get our, that all started? Our story is very unique in the sense that um, Soma Federal Way was part of Soma Tacoma for years. Um, from uh, There was multiple attempts to be sent out of Soma Tacoma. And so uh, we were uh, sent with actually two of Soma Tacoma's elders to plant Soma Federal Way. So the work of missional communities in Federal Way, um, there's probably four missional communities that have been taking place in Federal Way, Northeast Tacoma, which are geographically and sociologically very, very similar and and close. So we started from the get-go with missional communities that had been doing the work of living on mission um, for a couple years. And so we're unique in the sense that we didn't parachute in, hey, we're drawing a core, starting with one missional community, then build off of that um, we had a great i mean and i say this kind of like i'm not a real planter in the sense of i have i had a i mean i had elders with me um, I wish our story was more true than it actually is, where groups of missional communities are planting together. Um, the health, the maturity, the the level of um, intimacy that was already there in the planting process was remarkable. Um, with that being said, we are very focused on missional communities. I literally am late here because we were just at a coaching with our missional communities, so that is our focus. That has been from the get go, and we put a lot of energy and effort into that. And so it's very much uh, we wouldn't. Be Somewhat farther away without missional communities, there, there would be nothing. And Chris and Steph were on that, so they can give voice to it as well because they were actually there before I was.
4: Yeah, really, to go back, um, Soma Tacoma had kind of, um, best, I think fairly consistency, wanted us to meet as um, city groups. So like once a month, instead of coming to Soma Tacoma's gathering, Soma Federal Way would meet in somebody's house, um, jam-pack their house full of people. And uh, we started doing that with regularity. When we realized we were going to plant out, we started meeting in a house every other? Sorry, every other week. Yeah. We
6: came twice a month.
4: Yeah. So that that looks a little more grassroots-like. Um, if if we hadn't been planted out, that's what we would have been doing: is meeting in somebody's house. And our gathering wasn't; it was much more informal. And we con- consistently met as missional communities. And eventually, we felt like, all right, we're ready to do a Sunday gathering.
9: Hey, I'm Jeremy. Uh, so we are all, we're all coming from Albuquerque, New Mexico. And one of the problems we're seeing in our church, a fairly large church, six seven hundred people. One of the problems is new people who are coming into the church on Sunday morning, believers or non-believers. And if we have these missional communities who are, they're full because they have capacity or they don't have any capacity left. How do you deal with welcoming those new believers into the missional community family or the family of the of the church itself?
7: You know, I'm sure there's lots of ways to do this. One of the things that we're doing right now, on a little bit of a trial basis, is uh, having new groups that can form by region. Uh, we call those pilot groups. So it's the idea of getting a group of maybe six to eight people together, taking them through the saturate field guide and uh, with the hopes of leading them towards, Field Guide leads you towards uh, developing and forming a missional community covenant. Gives you the common vocab and tools to be able to talk about it together. And so um, that's what we're trying to do by region. We do that by region with the hopes that people kind of have a fighting chance of being close enough together to actually do life together. But you really are bringing them together just from like through the Sunday door kind of thing. Um, That's a big way that we're doing it right now. And then. The other thing is to just really focus on developing an apprentice process uh, and a plan for developing and sending out apprentices from existing missional communities that are healthy and and ready to multiply. So those are kind of the two ways that we're trying to focus on having groups ready for new people. The pilot groups are, um, so far, have, have gone pretty well. We've had three of them. And um, they are both in really great tension and conflict in like healthy ways of really the rubber is meeting the road And they have to figure out what this is going to look like together And so I think that's a good spot I know some of them are in the room and they're like it doesn't feel like a good spot Tim right now um, But I think it is the right spot to be in because they're coming in they, they're new They didn't have a background for it It's not like they had experienced a missional community before that was healthy or they could look back on And so they're just dealing with all these concepts fresh and working it through together So that's what we're doing here Anything to add to that, Jeff, There were? I think that's
8: good. I, I think in some ways you have to, You have. I, I would probably be more prone to put a new believer or a non-believer in a missional community than a seasoned believer uh, in one unless they were willing to get trained and equipped to actually take some leadership. Uh, I I say that because oftentimes I think we need to protect our groups from the person who doesn't want to actually join the group for the sake of mission. And sometimes that happens. And so I think we have to, it's nice the pilot group allows us to get them through a process where they can say, okay, now I know what you're talking about and I know what I'm getting into. or. Um, Let's protect groups from having too many Christians come into them And then we have no room for mission to reach lost people, which I see happen all the time And people are like man our group grows so fast Well, how we just filled it with all the people from Sunday and then but we don't have any unbelievers at all that we've reached And so I think it's important to protect it and even just let people know man We would love to make sure everyone's in a group. It's gonna take a while. We're a little behind on leadership development Um, We'll do our best uh, so, I think in some ways, we just have to be ready to disappoint some people a little bit in that process, which I don't want to, but I think I have to, I have to for the sake of the effectiveness of a group at some point. Hi, my name is
9: Andrew, and this question is related to uh, the Federal Way Plant, and I guess whoever was a part of that process. Um, in initially kind of assessing the, the core team and maybe core MCs as they were going out, was there certain giftings and uh, that you guys saw that you needed um, together as a leadership team or, or whatever, and, uh, or were there things that were obviously lacking in just knowing what you were going into in, in the federal way context that, that you saw a need and kind of how did you go about huh? maybe getting more people yeah. a part of
6: that? Hmm. So, was there? I'm gonna rephrase it. If I make sure I'm understanding you well, was there on the ground a leadership team that were multifaceted, gift-wise, and were there holes that were missing in that? Is that answer? Is that a generalized yeah, understanding? Yeah, that's, that's pretty good. And just how did you assess whether that was a
9: healthy variety of gifts and and just kind of um, unity there?
6: Yeah, I mean, everybody here was part of that, um, and so a lot of voices can be put into that. Part of the assessment was, um, the gift-wise the gift specifically, um, it was being led by two elders, like I mentioned, um, and Chris and Steph as well. They were in the elder process and now are currently elders. Um, they, the process of identifying was, uh, excuse me, the elders that were on the ground were very much shepherd teachers. Um, they loved people really, really well, um, and they loved to help understand and ground people in scriptures. Um, the part of me being a resident in Tacoma... Um, and coming into federal way was to help kind of bring some of the, um, outward leadership, um, development system structures, types things into it. And so part of me even being there is to round out the team. Um, Chris and Steph are amazing at what they're doing with dope church. Like it's unbelievable what they're up to. Um, and that like encourages us as a body and we're trying to get mcs to help what they're doing with dope church it's a very unique dynamic in the midst of that so amongst the leaders um it was pretty obvious that there were some things that were missing uh for instance there hadn't been any really like strong baptisms in a while and so that was something that was lacking um there weren't anybody really trying to think next Step, um, what's coming after this? It was just um, really what's going on now, from my perspective, that um, was missing, and there still are things missing. Uh, we have a great plurality of leaders that are really submit to one another well in our giftings, uh, and yet we're still lacking in some of those things. So um, we're still needing somebody to really help us, like dive into an incarnate and in federal way, and. Um, even more so love our city and be led by the spirit um, and lead in that way uh, but on the ground it was very much a great team that was like I would What I've said in the past and I still say to this day is I had a If there was a church plant in the more like par- somebody have parachute in and they had one person or one family um, That was like the majority of my church plant. They would have made it, but I had ten of them Yeah, so the people on the ground were phenomenal In that regard, leading missional communities, part of missional communities, giving oversight as elders, that just allowed for it to be really healthy from the get-go.
3: I'd add to that, too, that um, the people you need are probably already a part of your family. I mean, not necessarily blood family, but you're you're with our Soma Federal Way family and with our Dope Church uh, team and family. Um, what we're finding is we do pray for new workers for the harvest. In fact, most of us have that little alarm at 10.02 uh, for Luke to b uh, to pray for workers of the harvest. And another aspect of uh, being family is activating uh, those latent gifts or those gifts that people aren't bold enough to use. And so um, identifying what you already have is super important uh, and empowering and equipping people to use their gifts and and inspiring them. I can't say we've figured it all out yet, but we're learning uh, as we go along. Uh, Within our Dope Church uh, team and uh, specifically, we're seeing more of those gifts expressed. And some of the reasons uh, those gifts aren't expressed is because Some of our people come from very traditional settings where the pastor does all the work and I sit and I consume and uh, don't do a whole lot. But we hope and we pray that more and more, as I'm sure you all do too, that the entire uh, church family is growing in the gospel to express uh, that gift or those gifts uh, that are necessary for the mission. So yeah, I'd encourage you to uh, find out, are there people just kind of scared to express those gifts and how can you... Um, build into them and encourage them.
10: I would like to know some of your maybe best practices or ideas with um, kids and missional communities. Um, Uh, We have a large amount of children um, uh, that we have every week. And so kind of how to include them in the things that we're doing, how to disciple them. What does that look like for moms who have a tendency to you know, want to take care of the kids first and then miss out on some
5: other things or sometimes mm-hmm. it feels that way. So mm-hmm. some ideas or best practices you've found. That's good. Yeah, that's a good question. That's a very popular question. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, our emotional community has gone through seasons of having tons of little kids. I think we, at one point we were completely outnumbered. Like we had like 30 little kids and like 20 adults and we were panicking, like, what are we going to do with all these little crazy munchkins? And, um, hmm. it's just kind of, You know, they get bigger. They go into different seasons of life. So just trying to really figure out, like, what's best for the kids. We've done things like doing the storybook Bible with our kids or having a couple of us teach them that and then do, like, a craft project when they're little. Um, Now, right now in our Mitchell community, we have—my husband and I have three boys, and then we have two other boys. And it's crazy because they're wild and they need to be outside running around. And honestly, like, we don't do a ton of teaching with them. Because they're at school all week, they get kind of burnt out. They come to the gathering on Sunday mornings, but they're living life with us right now. Like We go to Lincoln High School football. They are with me. They're serving snacks. They're carrying things at Gatorade. Um, They're just in it with us. They love it. They get to be a part of it. Three of the boys in our national community are the ball boys for the Lincoln football team. So we travel on the bus with the team. They're just part of it. They know that this is what we do. Um, when they're littler, it's a lot harder to do those things. But even when they are little, I'd be like, let's make cookies. Let's go bring them over to our neighbor's house. You know, it's just like those small little, like everyday things. And, um, even trying to include them in our missional community, like, Hey, do you have anything to add? Can we pray for you? And just kind of inviting them into it as much as possible when we're having times of talking or eating meals. It's like those simple things that really, really count.
2: I was just going to add that. I don't think you're necessarily saying this, but sometimes when I hear that question I ask a couple more questions, and eventually realize they're talking about what do we do with our kids during the missional community, like hangout, mealtime, once a week time. And I think sometimes even just giving people freedom to say whatever. Like you can you can have someone else take them to a movie because they're still a part of that missional community for the rest of the week, doing ball boy stuff at the games. or And I think that's what's really key is actually having the freedom if your missional community isn't in a season where uh, you, you do want to go through... Um, some stuff on, on shepherding that the kids won't be able to track with during your your hangout time, and that's okay, because they're a part of the missional community, because they're a part of a family. So I don't know if that's what you were talking about or not, but I think it's definitely being intentional, how can they be a part of that family time around the dinner table, but then having the freedom to let them do something else, because they're going to get discipled the rest of the week, because people invested into them.
4: Can I just give you a little end game, not that I'm anywhere close to the end, but I do have a middle schooler, and um And life is totally different when they head into middle school, and she's been in her Soma family long enough that I am relaxed about the fact that she's going to have things she does not talk to me about, but she is going to talk to my Soma family about them. Or they're going to see things that I don't see, and she is totally secure in those relationships because... That's the end game. <laughs> she is totally secure in those relationships because they all point her toward Jesus all the time. And um, that is way more important to me mm-hmm. than anything else that we have achieved with her or for her the entire time, save you know her surrendering her life to Christ. Mm-hmm.
8: The other thing I've found is that when you let kids, like in our mission community, Wednesday night, it's pretty much free for all. Go have fun, hang out, eat lots of good food. It, when you let them do that, you actually see how they actually are broken. <laughs> with the fights that happened, uh, you know the fighting over something, the son who gets mad and throws the football into my fence, you know and all that. And then then the mom that responds in a way that needs the gospel in that moment, and then you start to do gospel-centered parenting on the spot yeah. and how do we parent our kids differently. And then the next day you're processing through how can we all grow as parents? And then you're asking, well how do you disciple your kids?" And well, maybe over a meal with a few of the guys, I'm saying, "Hey, here's what I do at dinner table time in the evening and how we read the Bible together and how we use a journal Bible and they do art in it. and So now we're training them how to parent their kids around the dinner table and all of a sudden we're training parents how to disciple their kids and then we watch where they need discipling because we can see where their kids disobey and we can have that conversation which is hard for some because their kids are their their little functional savior or their expression of their idolatry in physical form. And so when you confront it, it's like, well, don't you talk about that? That's my kid, and that's how we parent. Instead of having a safety that says, no, I want, I have blind spots. The gospel frees me from being defensive. I can hear you talk to me about where I need to grow as a parent. I'm eager to hear it. And then we're at a whole different level. It's not just taking kids through a curriculum. It's all-of-life discipleship that we get to enter into with each other. And so then it does change the question, like da- what Dawson said. So.
9: I'm curious what it looks like to integrate non-believers into your groups. Like, what does that look like? How do you prepare your group for that? What does that look like? You know, because I think most of my people, when they hear that, they get a little bit like afraid of like, how, what are we going to say? Mm-hmm. You know, what's that going to look like? You know, can I be myself? That kind of a thing.
3: Uh, so I, I think there are people here from all over the country probably, but here in the Northwest, there are kind of two seasons, um, the sun and the rain and, uh, you're catching <laughs> <All right>.
2: the,
3: <laughs> and, uh, That's so terrible. to some degree, uh, those provide, uh, bookends for how we, uh, are incorporating those who aren't yet believing into our community. Uh, in our dope church community, we do a lot of cookouts when the weather's good. Uh, those are kind of, Uh, uh, minimizing this time of the year, but we are are kind of flush with people of all kind of different faiths, unbelief, paganism, um, things like that, when we're kind of out in the community and trying to welcome them into uh, some sort of experience of family uh, in that way. And uh, we just kind of pray for them and leave it up to the Lord if they're going to continue with us uh, when we go indoors, uh, when you know everyone else hibernates uh, around here, but uh, it's—I it, was thinking uh, during the answering for the last question. There's a lot of intentionality be- behind the unintentional, <laughs> and uh, that's kind of uh, key: is uh, remaining open to those. Um, Non-believers being a part of uh, the family and the community, um, and allowing the Spirit to do that uh, work in a mysterious way um, over time, and hopefully not to feel too pressured to get somebody to a certain place. Like we're gonna we're gonna walk toward Jesus together. We're not gonna be ashamed of who we are, what what we believe. If you're interested in you know being a part of that, um, process with us, by all means, let's see, let's see where it goes. So I'd encourage you to as much as you can include uh, those who don't yet believe, or maybe have a very small, from our perspective, a uh, little grain of faith, but, um, pray and ask that the Lord would make that really fruitful and include them and, and love them along the way. I think you'll be surprised at what happens.
8: One of the most helpful things for Christians is actually to be around non-Christians a lot because they don't realize how much they talk in code, how how, uh, oftentimes uh, judgmental they might be, how they don't realize how they're coming across in the way they say certain things. I mean, it's so helpful to have a non-believer go like, do you understand how you sound? You know, and you're like, oh, I never thought about that. So uh, the principle I've given our group is anytime anybody wants to br- invite a non-believer in, the night changes for the weaker member. So, because that's scripture, right? The, the, the older, the, the stronger are, are supposed to consider the younger, the weaker, you know, Romans 15, more important than themselves, just like Christ did for us. And so the whole night shifts around the, the person of without faith. And, and then we change what we do in light of them. And so I tell our group, you can invite a non believer anytime you want, and it changes the night. Uh, I tell, tell them, you can invite a believer anytime you want, because you need to ask us if they should join our group before we bring them in, because that potentially could change our mission and we want to make sure we protect the mission but as far as non-believers always welcome
2: well first of all like how do you get them in the group they're like suddenly like a part of the group like they're just they are now because yeah. they've they've joined a life out uh, there's our our mission field is our apartment complex which is really very easily defined. It's these two buildings, and uh, there's this. Um, eventually, though, you go from mission field to having just names and faces of people that that you you know are in your a part of your life. And my wife's really discerning about that. She notices it because I'm looking at both of the buildings, and she's looking at a couple people that have become a part of our group. And she says, um, "You know that Lawrence and Demia, this 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 couple," she said. They uh, they're part of the group, and they actually just moved here. And if we don't Become their family, they'll find family elsewhere. So let's be their family to them. But then with that, we had some people that are part of our group. We started inviting this couple in who don't know Jesus yet. Uh, she, she did get baptized a few months ago. He still doesn't know Jesus. But we had this, this couple in, and, and some people that were a part of our group said, You know, I feel like we need to have some other time where it's just us. Mm-hmm. Um, be, because when I feel like we need some of us time. And, and so I, I felt like, Well, can you explain why you need some us time? It's like, well, because it's really hard for us to talk about what's really going on in our life to people who don't understand the language I'm using. And I said, well, that sounds like a very good reason for them to be a part of the group so that you can articulate it in a way that they do understand it. And it actually might be helpful then to, to bring them in, not just for their sake, but for our sake. Because that's what made this whole thing really awkward to begin with, is that we go have our own alone conversations when we don't know how to do it in a non-awkward way. So that's kind of been our process okay. at our apartment complex.
8: By the way, stop. That's an example of why the mission is necessary to train disciples. That's one great example. We don't know how to talk to people in ways that would make sense to them. So when all of a sudden we have to and we have to teach each other how to do it, the mission forces it. So great, great example. And
6: I, if I can encourage you, include them in all of your conversations. So mm-hmm. last December... Our missional community, was taught, it's, I mean, it's very common in this area, to It's December, you, you bless somebody else, you do a code drive, and we're having this conversation. Um, a friend of mine from middle school, high school, um, has been hanging out with our missional community, and she's actually, she doesn't know Jesus, and she's bringing up most of the ideas. Oh, what if we did this? What if we did this? And I'm sitting looking at all my, my believing friends who are part of our missional community, I'm like, she's got it like she's got that tin she's she's got and so we actually ended up listening to some of her things and started doing some of those yeah. just like two weeks ago we have this other couple that's been part of our missional community it's literally one of those relationships that we don't know why they're still hanging out with us they i mean like oh hey, he's inviting me over to ufc fights i mean we're we're hanging out we're chatting they always come early they always stay late Um, And we're talking about DNA groups, like one of the, like we really want to put emphasis in like a foundation of disciple making and we need to make sure everybody's in DNA groups and they're there with us and we're talking about it, I'm saying why DNA groups, I'm casting a vision of like gospel centrality and all this stuff, I'm like, hey, blank and blank, do you want to be part of one too? Mm -hmm. Um, And so now they're in a DNA group with uh, some of the people that are in our missional community, just in everyday life being part of consistent conversations around the gospel. So I used to be afraid of like, oh, I can only talk to them about certain things in certain ways. Now I'm like, I'm not inviting them to an event. I'm inviting them to my life. Mm -hmm. And my life includes these things. It includes DNA. It includes the gathering. It includes Barbecues, or it includes skate nights at my son's elementary school. So, of course, I'm going to invite them into that because discipleship's in my life. I need to invite them into my life, and this is what my life looks like. And you need them. And I need them, desperately. <laughs> um, we need yeah. them. Like, our, like, it'll just so easily become <laughs> one of our elders, we joke around, he has a tendency to be us four no more. And I'm like, no, we need, we need more than that. We need them because we need maturity. We need to see our blind spots. And so, and it's not an us versus them. It's a humanity needing Jesus. Um, and we just are showing one another that.
9: I know you mentioned the whole women and, and men doing ministry together and being equal in leadership. And I just think that's so awesome. And I, I'm just kind of curious what that looks like.
8: Well, the first Sunday of every month, we have our elders' meetings, which is elders, wives, and then our kids, and we eat together right after the Sunday gathering. Uh, the kids, someone helps take care of the kids, so uh, we, as men and women, can pray together. We can discuss the key issues that our church is facing together. We want to have both men and women's perspective on those issues as we talk through them together. And so we just we just do that stuff together. We do our elders' retreat together, husbands and wives in the summer, spend four days uh, at a place, just get away, love each other, hang out with each other. Pour into each other, bless each other. When we're considering an elder, we're considering the elder and wife really together. We really believe that they lead together, serve together, uh, give uh, care and oversight to our church together. So that's that's really how we are working it out. Uh, and then that gets worked out by example in how we lead missional communities, and that we don't want them just to be only led by a man or mm-hmm. only led by a woman, but ideally led by men and women together in relationship and um, and support of one another. So that in a fun- fundamentally, that's how we're doing it just saying like as much as we can all be together to lead the church we would do it just like we would do in our own home like we do it together uh, my wife and I so how do we do that in the church as well Jeff you mentioned yesterday about um, how sometimes God brings us through seasons uh, where um, where he'll strip everything away from us uh, to give us just a new understanding Could you talk a little bit about the importance of
2: balancing ministry and family and what that looks like uh, in missional communities?
8: I often don't know how to answer that question, balance. I have never really found any balance, if I'm honest, because it seems like every season changes a little bit. Um, I think Janie and I have committed ourselves to talk openly when it seems like I or she are not being present We've made a commitment up until this season to have dinner with our family every night, and sometimes it's just with other people, but that we eat with our kids every single night, that I put my kids to bed every night when I'm not traveling and pray at their bedside every night, Um, try to be present with them, to kiss them and hug them in the morning, Uh, get them involved as much of the mission as we possibly can, sit together in our church gatherings. I mean, just we work really hard on it. Right now, my kids are in three different schools and two different sports. And so, our evening rhythm just got really messed up in terms of dinner because they practice at five uh, through seven. So, it's really hard to get this rhythm. So, we're trying to figure that out. So, when I hear balance, it's like... Well, we're really not balanced now in terms of that plan, but my kids feel very loved because we're at their practices and we're involved in their life, and we have to eat a little different time. Sometimes I'm cooking for them instead of, you know, because Janie's driving one and I'm cooking at home and, or vice versa. And so it's really weird to answer that question in light of the rhythm we're in right now, but I think the way that we test that is Janie and I try to have a date day once a week or a night, and we talk through how are we doing it, Le- loving and leading our kids really well, and what's missing. And uh, as a guy who travels and speaks, I have to submit to the elders my schedule, and they speak to me about what they see as unhealthy if it happens. And so I submit myself to that process as well. So I don't know, that's somehow how I'm working through it, mm-hmm. but it seems like it keeps changing on me. Mm-hmm. Right when I figured out how to get it under control, it changes. My kid had to go play football. So <laughs> anyway, I love it. It's fun watching them, but it's definitely changed our rhythm. So I don't know. I think it's, it's being open to be corrected. It's being open to have your kids tell you, I miss you. Where have you been? Um, I regularly ask them, how are you doing? How you feel about me as a dad? Is there anything I can do to improve? How can I love you better? I ask my wife three questions regularly. How can I love Jesus more? How can I love and serve you more? And how can I love and shepherd our family better? And I just ask her those questions on a regular basis so she gets to speak openly to me
7: about that. I feel like I'm in the, a similar spot where, end of the fall, three kids, somehow two of them are in soccer, and it wouldn't line up. So it's every single night, different practice, different team, different parents, through text threads that I can't follow. So I'm like, I don't know, who do I need to be where for who? So it's just it's <laughs> out of whack right now in this season. And so we're in a, I'm in a similar spot with with my wife Sarah, where we're like, we have to reorganize for the next season because this was crazy. And next, this is the first time we had to do it with two kids. We'll need to do it with three, and so on. So we'll learn. Um, Um, I think the only thing I wanted to add was just maybe I think what we experience, at least in our context, is it's not usually like if there's a balancing to be found. It's not usually like ministry for our everyday people. Everyday disciples is just way over here, like weighted way down. It's usually family or work have gotten maybe a little bit too much. And there's an idolatry there that we're constantly battling with. And so the balancing to reset is across all three. And we're not usually needing to fight too hard for, um, protecting the other part of that. So
4: I was really thinking about how, um, generally speaking, when I'm out of balance, it's because I'm doing things for the wrong reasons. Um, not that our lives aren't crazy, but as my strong encouragement is if you're leading in a missional community, you need to lead in how to ask for help. Um, and I am really bad at that. And, um, we, we took on a this old house, which I love, love. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> I do, I do. And I'm like, I'm not
8: complaining. I love it. But it's like,
4: when we did it, we signed on for no dishwasher for the foreseeable future. And I work full time. And so we would get to the end of missional community and they would leave. And I'd stare down a sink full of dishes and a counter full of dishes and school the next morning. And I just go to sleep. So I'm like, I cannot. And then it'd be Saturday morning and I, you know, and I'd think, Oh, I have to do those dishes. And I was getting mad. And then I was mad at myself for being mad. And why can't you trust Jesus and do dishes and love your community better than this? Like it became so jacked up. And then, um, my, my good friend, Jana came over and listened to me while I was doing dishes. And she's like, Steph, that's ridiculous. Nobody should be that holy. Like you, you have to tell them like that's so unhealthy. You have to tell them how hard this is for you. And so i prayed about it and i sat down with my missional community and i said i need you guys to help me because i'm struggling with bitterness and this desire to be perfect in a way that i really can't be i'm trying to you know tim keller would say womp it up i can't mm-hmm. and i said i just need you guys to help me with dishes and they served the heck out of me mm-hmm. but i had to lead in that and that was a huge surrender for me because i have massive um fear of man stuff that loves to come and try to convince me it's still my issue, you know? And so I think Mm. that right there, like if you don't know your own need and you're pretending you don't have your own need, then you're going to stay in in imbalance because you're so busy trying to cover it up.
8: That is really good, by the way, (laughs) really good. In fact, if I could just, yes, so good. Um, If I could just emphasize an aspect of that. A lot of people get burned out leading a mission community because they're doing it all by themselves, and they try to do everything for everyone. And I just made it a policy in our missional community. We all share in the work. We share in the cleanup. We share in the dishes. We share in the food. We share, we do this together. This is not my wife and I doing something for you to show up for, like we're providing a program for you. This is us being a family that shares in the responsibility of all that we do because it's our family doing it. So let's do it together. And sometimes it's hard to ask for that because we're, there's that sense of like, gosh, I want to have it together. I want to be, a, I want to be more, you know, organized and better at everything it's like you're not just admit it you know it's okay to be needy because god intended that so
4: when i also say that we have a um one of our elders has consistently said for as long as i can remember if you lead an mc you should not host an mc now you can't make that a rule that's ridiculous you can't achieve that rule but um we had a couple come to us very recently in you know, kind of in a heartbroken way, say like, you really don't feel like we're doing what we're supposed to be doing and our hearts are in this place and we don't want to disappoint you. And we don't want to be leaving the mission. We just really feel called in this way. And basically what they were doing was asking permission to host and lead in the organization of our MC. Hmm. to free us, ding, 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 ding. you know, and they're, and they're, <laughs> they're sorry. And I was like, yes,
6: <laughs> and it, it has
4: become, and they're good at it. Hmm. And, um, they're more themselves than they've ever been. And it's so good for us. Hmm. Good. So I think if you can lead in partnership with people, that's really important too. Yeah,
2: absolutely. It seems, uh, when, when becoming a part of a missional community, obviously everyday rhythms of life become missional community, everyday rhythm, rhythms of life. And yet for for I'm sure many of us pre-missional community life, we had, some of us may have had really wonderful gospel-centered relationships and community that was very valuable. And yet now we're entering into this season where our everyday relationships, we're eating with people that are a a new set of people and we're celebrating and doing birthdays with people that are a new set of people. Uh, Can you speak a little bit to, how to weigh out being intentional with this new community and still valuing the old relationships that you had and that sort of thing.
8: It's interesting, I was gonna tell you the connections here and I guess this is a good lead in. So Sandra and her husband Todd were students in my very first youth ministry in Seattle, Shoreline um, in the 90s. And then when I moved back to start Soma Tacoma, they were the first people to join us in the core along with Ray and Diane and there were a few others too, but they were really the first in a lot of ways to really become a part of what stayed with us throughout. And, and they're de- dear, dear friends of ours. We love them like crazy. And, and, uh, and so we even recognized that we had to just say to each other, we're not going to get to have what we used to have. Hmm. And that's not easy when it's the people that you would just always wanna be with. Um, so Todd and Sandra are two of my dear, you know, Janie and I absolutely love them. Uh, Randy and Lisa are another couple, just super amazing friends of ours that were in missional community for several years. They live with us, all that. And we just we just had to say, we know there's seasons to enjoy those rich relationships and because of the kingdom, uh, just like any other missionary, at some point you you have to go out And walk away from dear dear friendships not because you are being mean But because you're actually loving the loss more than yourself, and you know you get to spend eternity together So it's a short journey of Being apart because we get forever to be together, and so that's something we just like agreed to and and kind of Accepted and then when we do get together which is maybe once a year in terms of a meaningful way uh, We just soak it up like crazy and, go, and we think, and we reflect, and like, look at what God's done over the last 12, 13 years, and look at what we've gotten to experience. We'd have never gotten to do that if we just would have stuck together. And so it's, it's celebrating those moments. It's looking for a chance to come back together for those rich times. I'm sure on my 50th birthday party, a lot of the people that were a part of all the founding work that we did will probably all come together and have a great party. I would expect that. Um, just a hint. <laughs> Just would like that, in case I didn't say it. Um, so I think there's those key moments you still get to have. We go go weddings and we run into each other. It's like, oh yeah, we know the same people. And so, I, but I think you have to just embrace the fact that you, a missionary, has that heart. And if we embrace it, then we can go on furlough and go back and visit. Hmm. But we, the mission of Jesus, has to be the most important thing at some point. So.
0: So,
10: I am not a missional leader or pastor or anything, but I'm a participant in a missional community. And what I'd love to encourage everyone here in is the, literally the everyday check-in. So if it's Monday and someone has a job interview, you have an entire family that would love to pray for you. And if it's Tuesday and your dad is having eye surgery, there's an entire family that would love to pray for you. And if it's Wednesday and you're working late, they'd love to feed your son. And so like we literally, our missional community, is on mission as a family seven days a week. So when we gather on Wednesday night, everybody knows what's happened in the week because we've checked in by text or by Facebook group or what have you. And so I feel like because we have that connection every single day, when it comes to Wednesday, we can actually go deep and we can show up and serve in ways that we couldn't if we were using that as our time to connect for the first time since Mm -hmm. Sunday. So I just would love to... Encourage people that the everyday stuff really matters when push comes to shove and you know that you have an entire family that's praying for you.
8: It's yes. awesome. Not even a year old. <laughs> I'm just bragging on Jesus. I just want you to know, like, the beauty of when someone comes to faith in in the context of a missional community, their view of discipleship is radically different because that's all she knows of Christianity, right? It's so fun. (laughs) I'm just so thankful to God for you, Jen. Yeah.
9: I just wanted to ask a question about further biblical instruction in terms of... Uh, having new people come in, we are we're obviously talking about the gospel in, in great detail. How do we move from from that into a an elaborate discussion on scripture? You were talking about DNA groups. Is that the the means of going deep into the scriptures themselves? What means do you have of doing that? And what is what's your plan for developing disciples deeply in the scriptures?
6: Hmm. That's one of the things that we recognize amongst the Somerville Fredaway family is um, we have somebody that's very gifted at um, grounding people in scriptures, but is he equipping other people to ground people in scriptures? Um, the, the, the heartbeat of how do we actually get people to dive into the scriptures, as opposed to just talk? We in Summit Tacoma, something Jeff said a couple years ago stuck with me: is we became so fluent in the story that we lost fluency in the scriptures. So having to dive back into that, and not it being an either or. Um, and so we um, we've develop, we're developing a, an actual a toolkit that um, along lines of disciple, disciple maker, and discipling community leader, so MC leader, how we can help people get into the scriptures along all these various tools that SOMA has developed over the couple years. So we're, get, we're creating resources so that people can actually use them um, on a very practical level. We, we, we've, so one of those, like a, a discipleship plan that includes scripture and includes um, people actually reading the scriptures. Um, and just in an everyday, ordinary way, Just helping people actually dive into it. So on a, a Soma Federal Way level... We're, we've realized that that needs that's an intentional thing that needs to be dive in that's why we're going through books of the Bible now for um, during the gathering mm-hmm. that's where we're being more intentional that way because we want to create an environment that in the missional communities will that can, they can foster that because mm-hmm. our gatherings to support our missional communities so how can we use this teaching time to support that so that's a culture thing that we're trying to do and then we're giving practical hands-on things to help um, DNA groups missional community leaders just be able to help other people do that as well so it's just a a little bit of intentionality that we've that we're in the process of developing
8: Where we're at right now is we're doing it in DNA groups. Um, We really believe that uh, three guys or three girls together studying the Word of God is a really great way to learn how to do it. And then we're even going to be providing like training days where they can say, how do you do it? Let's have you practice it. Not only the Word, but also speaking to the heart in light of the Word, Mm -hmm. like to give training on that. Uh, That's experiential. And then we anticipate that we're going to be also needing to provide some just basic classes like how do you read your bible how do you understand how all the books work how do they fit together so some of that's coming i we've only been at it here for a year and a half so we're still establishing some of those rhythms here but Mm -hmm. that's some stuff we'll do
1: It's Brad again. I hope that you've enjoyed that conversation of these people talking about just the basic stuff of starting missional communities as well as some of the more detailed oriented things. Uh, this also sort of comes to a close, our summer plan of bringing you guys different teachings, different learnings, different uh, actual pieces from our saturated catalog of video trainings that we have online. We've been making them into audio format for you through this podcast. In the next couple weeks, Jared and I will start back again as we dive into some very practical conversations of what it means to be motivated by the gospel and making disciples in community and on mission.
0: Today's podcast was edited by Ben Fort and our theme music is written and performed by the band Mopac. This podcast is produced by Saturate. Saturate's hope is to see one missional community for every 1,000 people in every city as we see the glory of God fill every person, every place, and every church. We participate in this vision by curating resources, training, coaching, consulting, and many more ways. Find out more at saturatetheworld.com.